0: Uh, My name is Brandon. It is good to be with you this evening. Welcome to River City. We are glad that you would join us for worship this evening. Uh, I am looking forward to opening God's Word with you, as we always do together when we gather. Um, This evening, we are wrapping up our series, uh, walking through the seven I Am statements in the Gospel of John. and uh, We began about seven weeks ago, actually eight weeks ago, because we talked about the mystery eighth one the very first week. And and we talked about how in John chapter 8, we saw how in each of these I Am statements... What Jesus is doing is that he is explicitly and deliberately highlighting the fact he is claiming that he is God, that he is the great I Am. He is the same God, he is the same I Am who revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush back in Exodus chapter 3 and who commissioned Moses to rescue his people out of slavery in Egypt. And now in the person of Jesus, this God, this I Am has come to rescue his people uh, in person from the greater enemies of, and their greater slavery to Satan and sin and death. And, and, uh, but what we've seen as we've taken a look at each of these I Am statements is that Jesus isn't just claiming that he is God. With each of them, he is also uh, expressing something specific. He's also revealing something specific about who he is, about what he is like, about his nature and his character, and about his purpose and why he's come. And we saw last week in John 14, as Jesus claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life, we saw this incredible summary of kind of the previous six I am statements, that have, you know, the previous five that had come before it, and we saw how Jesus is the one way to God because he is the personification of truth about God, and he is the very source of life. He is God himself, and to know him is to know God and be known by God. And to know Jesus is to know God and to be known by him. And so this week, as we wrap up our series, we're gonna see how in this final I Am statement that Jesus makes about himself, he claims that he is the true vine. We're gonna see how Jesus highlights for us not just the importance of knowing him, but the urgent importance, the the critical importance of having an active and ongoing relationship with him. And so with that in mind, let's pray and we'll dive into God's word together tonight. God, we are so grateful for your word. We are thankful that you would keep it for us so that we might know you through it. And God, we just come tonight, uh, we just want to humbly ask that you would be gracious to uh, meet us in your word, that you would uh, fill me with your spirit so that I might have something to say and teach uh, that would come uh, with value and worth and would have power, not because of me, but because of you. And and God, we pray that you would make our hearts ready to be able to to understand your word, but also to respond rightly to it. And and so, God, as we do every week, we just say we cannot do that on our own. We are dependent on you for all of that to happen. And so we ask, God, for our good and for your great glory that you would do it. And so we look forward to seeing how you will this, this evening. Amen. Amen. well, this, this evening we are in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. begins this way. Uh, I am the true vine. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, then ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. And so show yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. And I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and so that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And greater love has no one than this, Uh, To lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. And I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. And you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so, whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command that you love each other. Well, there is way more in these verses than we will have time to suck the marrow out of tonight. But what I want to do is just highlight some of the big picture things that are happening in here that are so important for us to see. Verse one opens uh, with Jesus' seventh I am statement. Right off the top, he, he says, I am the true vine. And, and it's a, on the face of it, it's a metaphor that seems pretty straightforward to us. We're like, all right, vine, branches, gardener, fruit, Cool. Got it. I think I can follow that. I'm not a gardener, but science, right? It seems just the way it is. We're in nature even, right? But uh, the reality is that the, the imagery of a vineyard, the that vi- that vine imagery, it would have had a much deeper connotation for a first century Jewish person who would have heard that. You see, the Old Testament, it frequently uses the imagery of a vineyard or a vine as a symbol for Israel, as a symbol for God's people. But the thing is, though, is that it's always used in a negative context it's always used in a negative context Israel's described as a vineyard that either produces no fruit or only produces bad fruit and as such is uh, threatened with God's just judgment and so as a first century Jew when, when you would have heard the, the the vineyard imagery the metaphor of a vineyard that would have been bad news that wouldn't have conjured up oh I just love walking through the vineyards and the grapevines that would have been like here we go this is about to get real, really quick here, right? It was a reminder that Israel had repeatedly failed to be what God had called them to be and to do what God had called them to do. It was a, it was a reminder that no matter how hard they had worked or how hard they had tried or how much they had sought to obey, that they had just not do it. They had not produced the fruit that God had longed for. They had always fallen short. And yet, here Jesus is in John chapter 15 here, and he is flipping that imagery on its head. He's turning it around. See, one pastor put it this way. Jesus' claim to be the true vine is nothing short of a gospel declaration. He's entering into this banner of failure over their lives and he's saying, I've got this. You have not been able to be fruitful in a way that pleases God, but I've got you. I am the true vine. I am what you have not been able to be. The type of fruitfulness that pleases the Lord that you have not been able to walk in, I will now make possible for you. You see, the good news of the gospel is the declaration that Jesus has become for us what we could never be on our own, that Jesus has done for us what we could never do on our own. And as much as we strive, as much as we work, as much as we try to be good, upstanding, moral, right people, that we always fall short over and over and over again. That's the story of all of our lives, each one of us, over and over again. But where we fail, Jesus did not. You see, he lived the perfect life that you and I were supposed to live. He bore the fruit that God's people were always intended to bear. And he does that for us. He does it on our behalf. And so that when by faith we are united with him, God sees us in the same way that he sees his son Jesus. He's fully pleased, satisfied, delighted in. see, Jesus' claim to be the true vine, to, to be what we could not be for us. It's the basis for the whole rest of the passage. The rest of the verses, they're all basically an application of that truth. There are implications of that reality, of that revelation. You see, the point that Jesus is making with this whole vineyard metaphor is that because he is the true vine, because he is for us and he empowers us to be what God calls us to be, that we could not be on our own, that it is imperative that we remain connected to him. That word "remain" or maybe you grew up here now, "abide." Uh, that we should to abide in Jesus. That word's repeated ten times in this passage. That's a lot. Just if anyone was counting, that's a lot in a few short verses. Jesus is being really, really intentional about highlighting this idea, and over and over, Jesus highlights for his disciples the importance of remaining connected to Him. And so, the rest of our time tonight, I just want to show you three things that the passage highlights about remaining or abiding in Jesus. Three things. The first is just, what does it mean to remain or to abide in Jesus? Why is that so important, and how do we do it? So what is it, why is it so important, and how do we do it? So first, what does it mean to remain or to abide in Jesus? Well, the the word that's translated remain or abide, it's, it's a verb that literally means to stay or to reside somewhere. And so when Jesus says to remain in me, he's talking about being deeply rooted and connected to him in an active and ongoing kind of way. See, that word to remain, it's a verb. It's an action word. And so it's talking about remaining connected to him, being rooted and deeply connected to him in an active and ongoing kind of way. You see, what Jesus is saying is that relationship with him is not really, it's not like the spiritual front door. Rather, he's saying that relationship with him is more like the hub of a wheel in which every part of our lives must connect to if they're to to work properly, that we must be connected every part of our lives to who he is and to what he has done for us. You see, from the moment you trust in Jesus until the moment you meet him face to face, every part of our lives must be connected with him. You see, that's at the root of what we're talking about at River City when we talk about the idea of being gospel-centered or growing in the gospel, Right, where everything in our lives and our ministry must be connected to the person and the work of Jesus in an active and ongoing kind of way. You see, the person and the work of Jesus, the good news of the gospel, it's, it's not only the thing that saves us, it's the one thing that can also empower us to actually grow in our faith and to, and to grow up spiritually. You see, in other words, our, our ongoing active connectedness with Jesus is the thing that enables us to grow spiritually. And so that leads us to the second part. Why? Why is it so important that we stay connected with Jesus? Verse 16, Jesus says this. He says, I chose you and appointed, uh, appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. You see, the, the purpose of Christ's choosing to unite himself with us uh, and his, uh, with himself, is not merely so that people can have their sins forgiven, so that they can have eternal life, those things are true, but is so that our lives might be fruitful and productive in fulfilling God's purposes in a way that has lasting effects in us and in others. And so the question is, what, what does it mean to bear fruit? What does it mean to be fruitful? Well, the Pharisees in the, the the Pharisees, the religious leaders in Jesus' day, they, they defined fruitfulness in kind of external, moral, religious terms. Do these things, be this way, XYZ, that's what it means to be fruitful. And the fact that Jesus repeatedly and overtly condemns them as hypocrites and as totally off-base should give us at least some clue that their definition was off, right? Uh, Jesus does not seem to be affirming their views of what fruitfulness is. But uh, instead, over and over in the New Testament and in Jesus' words, what we see is that the writers are connecting the idea of fruitfulness with an inner transformation of the heart and of character that then manifests itself externally in actions and attitudes that reflect God's own character and reflect his own will. One of the best examples of this is is in Galatians chapter 5 when we see the the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5 reads this way, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit then is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, For against such things there is no law. You see, all of those things are inner qualities. They are are inner characteristics that invariably are expressed externally in our actions and our attitudes. But, But more importantly, those things are all things that Jesus perfectly embodies. He is the ultimate expression of what it means to be those things And so ultimately, spiritual fruitfulness looks like becoming more and more like Jesus. It means thinking the way he thought and acting the way he did and living the way he did. And it begins with an inner transformation that that leads to an external transformation in our lives. You see, um, verse 8 highlights it this way. It says, the result of fruitfulness is not only that we grow and that others grow, but that God is glorified. Jesus says in verse 8, this is to my Father's glory that you would bear much fruit and show yourselves to be my disciples. You see, verses four and five, it reinforces the truth that fruitfulness is directly linked with connectedness with Jesus. Verse four, it says it this way, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. He says in verse five, apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, Without abiding in Jesus, without remaining actively, ongoingly connected to Him, fruitfulness isn't just difficult. Jesus says it's impossible. One commentator wrote it this way He says, We are not simply handicapped or hindered, we are hopelessly paralyzed. We can do nothing. When Jesus says that we can do nothing, it's not that we can't carry on ordinary activities of our lives, it's not that you can't eat or breathe or work or do whatever. When Jesus is, he's talking about is that we can do nothing apart from him. He's talking about producing spiritual fruit. We can't can't do anything of lasting meaning or value without being connected to him. We are utterly dependent on Jesus to produce spiritual fruit in our own lives and in the lives of others. And that that's something that we all feel. If you've ever, if you've been following Jesus, that's something you all feel. When, when you're trying to grow spiritually and you are relying on your own effort and your own determination, when you are when you're relying on your own strength and your own effort, you see, what you and they invariably find is not only is that wildly ineffective, it's exhausting. It's just exhausting. What you end up finding is that you just you never measure up, you never quite get there, you're always one step behind. It just feels like this never-ending battle that you are always in. Now, then you try helping somebody else grow on in your own efforts. That's like Doubling your exercises in futility, right? It's even more pointless. As a preacher, I am keenly aware of that reality. There have been many times where I've tried to prep a sermon in my own effort, in my own strength, and seen that go just terribly badly, right? It's not even, not only does it is it not good, it doesn't produce fruit in the lives of others or in me either. You see, connectedness with Jesus is invi- is. Is, is, in, is dependent. Our dependence on him, our, our connectedness with him, it's, it is, you know, we are unable to disconnect that from bearing spiritual fruit. And so without abiding in Jesus, fruitfulness is impossible. But Jesus doesn't just say that without abiding with him, fruitfulness is impossible. He goes on to say that when we abiding in him, fruitfulness is inevitable. See, without him, it's impossible, but with him, it is inevitable. See, verse 5 says, if you remain in me, then you'll bear much fruit. See, being deeply connected to Jesus in an active and ongoing kind of way, it invariably changes you. It changes you to look more and more like him, not just in what you do externally, but in who you are internally, your, your attitudes, right, and your, your heart-level desires. And that promise that when you're connected with him that will bear fruit, that is an encouraging promise, Right? It means that the thing that we must be most concerned about is being connected with him. You see, but it's also a sobering reality. You see, the fruitfulness of our lives is evidence of our relationship with him, Jesus says. And if we're connected to him, there will be fruit in our lives. It won't always look the same for everyone. It won't always come in the same time. It won't always look the same. It won't always be in the same amounts or in the same quantities or the same qualities. But there will always be some kind of fruit in our lives if we're connected to him. But the reality is is that if there is no spiritual fruit in our lives, if over time we are not inwardly and outwardly becoming more like Jesus, that's evidence that we don't know him. It's evidence that we are not connected with Him. See, verse 6 says this way If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, they're thrown into the fire and the burned. See, Jesus' words here that they are meant to be an encouragement to the disciples, but they're also a sober warning. They're not a, they're not a call to second guess every action in our lives and to wonder if every minute of our lives is being fruitful. But instead, they're an encouragement to us to ask the question, is there spiritual fruit in my life? If over time am I starting to look more like Jesus inwardly and outwardly, it's a question that Jesus says here has eternal ramifications And so we've seen in our pastors so far that that we're to abide in Jesus, we're to remain connected to him in an active and ongoing way because fruitfulness is the thing he's called us to and it's impossible apart from him. And so the last question is simply this, how do we bear fruit? How how, how do we stay connected to Jesus? How do we abide in him in an active and ongoing kind of way? In verse 10, it shows us the answer. It says this, verse 10, it says, if you keep my commandments, then you will remain in my love. You see, obedience is the how of abiding in Christ. Now, I just want to be abundantly clear here, right? What I didn't say is that obedience is the way you get into relationship with Christ. I didn't say that neither does Jesus. He doesn't say obedience is the way you get into relationship with me. You see, throughout Scripture and numerous times in our I Am study this so far, we've seen that the way that we come into a relationship with God is through faith in Him. It's not of our own efforts. It's not of our own works. It's entirely, utterly by faith in Him. Rather, what Jesus is saying is that obedience to his commands is how you abide in him. It's how you stay deeply, actively, ongoingly connected with him, and it's how you bear spiritual fruit. One pastor, he puts it this way, he says, Jesus' commands are like wires that connect us to the power of the gospel. What they don't, they don't have power in and of themselves, but they connect us to the place from which the power flows. You see, our obedience is not the thing that like, gives us power or strength, but it's the thing that connects us to the source of life and power, and that's Jesus. Conversely, living in sin is a sure way to live a life that is disconnected from the empowering presence of Jesus. And you sense that. You see, sin, it always pulls you away from Jesus. It never pulls you towards him. And, and often it leads us to running from God in fear instead of running to him for forgiveness and for help. But the good news of our passage is that, again, Jesus, he is the true vine. That, that he has become for you what you could not become on your own. That he has become for you what you have endlessly failed to be on your own. And that he has been that righteousness which you need. And he offers himself to you as the way out. And the way out of sin and the way into a life-giving relationship with God. See, but that's not all in our passage. We see that the the fruit-bearing obedience that Jesus calls us to, it's not a punishment, nor is it a test. What we see is that it is an invitation to life, and it's a life of joy. Verse 11, Jesus says this, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete See, Jesus is saying his, his commands, they are not a prison, they, 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 are, they are instead a path to abundant life and to joy if we would submit to him and obey him. You see, in this joy-producing obedience, the passage highlights for us it's motivated out of a response to Jesus' love for us. Verse 12, he says, My command is this, love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. You see, within 24 hours, Jesus would be hanging on the cross, dying for his friends, these disciples, and for you and for me, in His command to love Him and to love others, it is fundamentally rooted in responding to His love for us. 1 John four nineteen says it this way, We love Him because He has first loved us. John 14, verse 15, Jesus says, If we love Him, then we'll keep His commands. You see, it's our experience of Jesus' love for us that leads us to respond in love back to Him in a kind of glad obedience that leads to our good and, uh, as we abide in him and to his glory as we bear fruit unto his name. There's this old hymn written by John Newton. He's the same guy that wrote Amazing Grace. It's a hymn called We Once Were Sinners Too. And the, the closing verse, I think, just speaks so poignantly to, to this idea. It writes this way. He says, our time in sin was wasted until his love we tasted. Our pleasure and our duty, though opposite before, since we have seen his beauty, are joined to part no more. It is our highest pleasure, no less than duty's call, to love him beyond measure and serve him with our all. You see, this is so important that you get. The obedience that God calls us to, it's for our life and for our joy but it's only possible when we are responding to his love made known to us. You see, if you're trying to obey Jesus in order to get something from him, if you're trying to obey him because you just think it's what you're supposed to do, you will endlessly never be able to do it. Oh, but if your longing to obey him comes out of a love for him and a gratitude for him and a response to seeing him's love for you, And that's the one way you'll have the power that you actually need to be able to obey. You see, the obedience God calls us to is rooted in responding to his love for us, not in duty or obligation or drudgery. It's rooted in his love for us, and it leads to joy. You see, and it's God's great love for us that we're remembering and celebrating when we take communion together. You see, we're reminding ourselves that of Jesus' love for us, that Jesus, in love for us, Jesus died so that we, through faith, might be united together with him, both now and forever. And communion, it, it it doesn't make you right with God, it doesn't change your status or your standing with him, it doesn't change how he sees you. Instead, it is a chance for us to remember, to remind ourselves of who Jesus is and all that he has done, that he is the true vine who has become for us what we could not become on our own and that he, by, by attaching ourselves to him through faith, that we might bear fruit of spiritual fruit that would be, lead to joy in our own lives and lead to God's glory. You see, it's when we remember him and all that he has done that we are drawn in love for him and we are empowered to live for him in response to it. And so tonight, as we sing and as we worship and as we remember the gospel together in song, I'd encourage you, if you put your trust in Jesus, if he is the true vine, if, if your hope is in him, that he has become for you what you could not become on your own, then whenever you're ready, take communion. If you, didn't, if you weren't able to grab a cup on the, as Andy called it, a communion snack pack on your way in, uh, there's one at the table in the back. And, and you can take the bread and the juice whenever, whenever you're already in your seat. You don't need to be a member here. You just need to have trusted in Jesus. But if that's not you this morning or this tonight, if you're here tonight and you realize that you're not connected with him, that you have not put your faith in him, that you're relying on your own effort, your own energy, you're relying on your own strength to to become what you think God wants you to be, you haven't trusted in him to be for you what you cannot be without him, then I encourage you this, this evening, instead of taking communion, come to Jesus. Receive his offer to be the true vine for you. Respond in faith to him and who he says that he is. Trust him to be the true vine for you. And so with that in mind, let's pray. Jesus, we come before you tonight and we're so grateful to get to gather together and worship. What a beautiful evening it is. God, and we are thankful to get to remember tonight that you are the true vine. God, that You are uh, that in Christ, that you have become for us what we were called to be, what could never be on our own. And you come offering yourself to us, God, giving yourself to us as the solution, as the answer to our problem. And so, God, we ask this morning, one, that you would help us to see you as the true vine. But as well, Jesus, we ask that you would help us to come to you this morning uh, in a way that longs to be actively and ongoingly connected to you each and every day. God, help us to do that by obeying you. God, not out of duty or obligation, uh, but out of love for you as we respond to your love made known to us in the gospel. And so Jesus, empower us to abide in you, to remain in you, to be deeply, actively, ongoingly connected to you, the true vine, so that we might bear fruit, God, for our joy and for your great glory we ask. Amen.